What is up, everybody, and welcome into the last episode of 2016 of the Modern Journal Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikeSlessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Journal Magazine. And you are currently listening to the sweet sounds of myself, Carter McLean, and Ash Sohn. In this week's episode, Mike and I will get all caught up, and then we're going to talk about snare drum effects, a bunch of different products that you can put on your snare drum to give it a different sound. We'll discuss a column that Russ Miller wrote for the January issue about reviewing and renewing your goals. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the DW Cherry Mahogany Kit. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. That's That was pretty close on my end. How was it on your end? I think our delay is, is good now. I mean, that was like oh, 100%. That was, that was pretty spot on, man. <laughs> that's, an, that's an ensemble piece. Speaking of ensemble pieces, <clears> I got to virtually play with... Uh, Carter McLean and Ash Sohn on oh, Instagram. Yeah. You were talking about that. So how did that actually work? You did the first part? Yeah. So I, I called them both up individually and just asked if they would be down to do something like that. And both were totally enthusiastic about it. And I said, okay, my, my concept here is that I just want to show what it would sound like if three drummers played together and each person was trying to complement the part that came before them rather than trying to dominate it. And obviously okay. no trading. We never at, at any point trade fills. It's only like 45 seconds. Uh, and they were totally on board with it. So I came up with this little loop in seven and played it with – at least in the first uh, – let's call it an A section and a B section. The A section I gave it as much space as possible knowing that Carter would probably do something very melodic over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sent my track to Carter – Carter then recorded it and sent it back to me. Then I put the two together, mixed those, and sent both of our parts to Ash. Then Ash uh, recorded on top of that. And then, yeah, we mm-hmm. put it out as our Christmas present to our fans. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. And and it was just like, gosh. I, I mean, it just, at least to me, it reinforced the point that if I had to listen to myself go back and forth with those guys trading fours or 20, trading eights, or listen to what we came up with. I would. It was like when it was over. I was so bummed that it was only forty five seconds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, it just it shows this this instrument can be really cool. And and the cool part was the first thing that I played. Let's say let's say assume it wasn't in seven. The first thing I played was two kicks and a snare. So that means that even if I was jamming with somebody that's only been playing for a few weeks, we could still come up with something equally as cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't have to be this show-off battle thing. So, uh, so that was yeah, good. That was How was your Christmas, cool. man? It was cool. I went down, you know, spent a couple of days with the family, and and didn't do much but eat and drink and sit around. Yeah. So it was nice. nice. I took sticks with me. I had them in my hands for like half hour one day, and nice. Didn't touch them again. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's it's good. These breaks, uh, you know, that the world imposes on us are, are really nice. Just to. It feels terrible in the moment because I feel like I'm. I feel like the world's passing me by. I feel like I'm getting yeah. worse every day. But when I come back to the kid, I'm just so renewed and I'm so excited to play anything. So yeah, yeah. I've I think, kind of, I think it's, we're we're both at the point where we're not going to lose too much if we no. take a couple of days off. And I think actually you gain more because you give your. For me, I give my brain a chance to just you know decompress, empty out, I agree. And start all over. If, I used to just stress about, man, I'm not practicing. Terry Bozio said, if you don't practice four hours a day, you're getting worse. I mean, <laughs> and Carl Allen used to tell me that if you're only practicing an hour in a day, you're just warming up every day. You're not actually practicing. Wow. But I don't, I don't necessarily believe any of that anymore. I think right. mainly because I've put in so many hours of physical practice that yeah. I think now I'm not going to lose too much. There's certain things I've already noticed. Like uh, I spent like, 
six months trying to not slow, not make the first backbeat after a drum fill late. You know, that okay, was like wow. one thing that I practiced. And then right. I, this morning I was recording myself. I'm like, dang it, my backbeats are late again. It's <laughs> just one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's like the first time I've ever wished you were a hick. I wish you'd been like, "Dang, my back beats are late again. My darn back beats are late again." <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you had a good Christmas, man. It's good to get some time yeah, with the fam cool. for sure, yeah. man. I got to uh, check out your whole cold thing. I went to Indiana. I went to Sweetwater. Oh, how was that? That must have been uh, nice and frigid. Yeah, negative twelve is a. Uh, it's it's definitely an experience I'd like everybody to try out and uh, your eyeballs freeze, due, your snot freezes. Yeah, due to the weather <laughs> delays uh, of air traffic, I got into Indiana at about two a.m. Ouch! So obviously there was no one from Sweetwater there to pick me up. They were all like, "Well, just take a cab and and invoice us." I was like, okay, that's fine. So uh, I asked the lady at the nice counter. I said, "Hey, uh, how do I get a, a taxi here? Do you guys have a service or whatever?" And she said, "No, it's just out to the right." I was like, "Perfect!" And I had exactly what I'm wearing right now: long sleeve shirt and my jeans. Oh no! Went outside to the right, came right back in, opened my suitcase, got out my gloves, got out my <laughs> jacket. I was like, "Holy crap!" It like you can't breathe. Yeah, you can't be outside if you're not bundled up. No, like, it was it's dangerous. Yeah, it was, I actually felt for a second. I was like, "This, you could actually be in a little bit of trouble here, Mike." <laughs> this isn't about toughing it out. This is like. <laughs> this is Mars. I'm on the surface yeah. of Mars. So other than that, though, man, what an amazing time. Uh, you know, I went to Sweetwater two years ago. Now, just heads up, everyone. I'm not affiliated with them at all. I'm not endorsed by them. Um, but I went there two years ago with John Palmer from Gretsch. We did a sales meeting, and which is where we get up in front of all the employees, and we just give them as much information about Gretsch drums as we can. But I wasn't really recommending Sweetwater to my students because they didn't carry a lot of drum stuff. They're pretty new mm-hmm. in, in uh, carrying drum stuff. Well, now, being back there, and Randy Pratt is there. I'm sure you know Randy. and He's one of my favorite mm-hmm. people in the world. And he's running. He's the head drum buyer there now. So now they carry all the stuff that I would recommend to my students. All They carry all the normal drum stuff. I mean, they are stacked. Yeah. And drums for them grew 67% from last year. So wow. it's their biggest growing thing that they're carrying. Now, obviously, it's the newest thing they're carrying. It's yeah. one of the reasons why it's growing so fast. But the whole sales staff that was always a little resistant to drums is on board. So what they brought me in for was to you know sit in front of a room of 300 non-drummers and educate them. So they're, you know, their thing is very real. Like they, customer service is paramount for them. So they're thinking, man, when we're on the phone, I don't want to not know what I'm selling, mm-hmm. which is so opposite of the sales world. The sales world is like, tell me the key taglines. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bearing edges, maple shells. Good, let's go. Answer the phones. Uh, they're the opposite. They're like, I don't want to answer the phone unless I know exactly what I'm talking about. So I just uh, so myself and uh, Nick Di Virgilio gave them a nice clinic and, and it was it was a blast but it was really cool I mean it's, it's a family run business they've got you know from the top down the goal is very simple which is always do the right thing even if it costs us money always do the right thing mm. it'll work out in the end and so yeah to have that love that I had for that place the first time I visited it but it was also mixed with sadness because they didn't carry the gear that I wanted to recommend to my students. Yeah. Now to have it all together, it's really cool. So obviously, as somebody that grew up in drum shops, I'm still a huge fan of the local mom-and-pop drum shop. That's my all-time favorite place in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, not everybody has the availability to check one of those out. So Sweetwater really blew me away. So is Nick uh, full-time there? He is, yeah. So 
He's got a full video crew, and they're just filming videos nonstop. That guy's that guy was great, man. We yeah. we I mean, we spent two full days together. We played a lot. He was very non-combative because we had to actually perform twice mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and all we did was come up with this little tag, a rhythmic call and response thing for the very last bar of whatever we were going to do. But the first three hundred bars was see you when I see you, <laughs> and we just got out on stage and started playing, and we had a blast. And he was he was very complimentary as far as playing with another drummer like if i played something instead of him dominating it on the next pass he would just kind of take show his version of it and stuff so i I had a great time with him and uh yeah and it was really cool i played my four-piece uh brooklyn setup with my normal cymbals and then he went with like a giant pearl reference some nashville anniversary kit or something oh yeah yeah their uh, custom shop what are they calling that music city something yeah music city yeah so he had he had like 8 10 12 14 16 and the whole point was let's show these employees and these salespeople how different a drum set can be he had Mm. the full rack he had all zildjian everything uh and then i had my four-piece kit and we and also we, we picked it specifically like i had coated heads with rounded bearing edges and warm sounds he had that kit with clear heads so we were showing them how different these drum sets can be so we had a blast man it was really cool they're going to put any content out or was that just for in-house yeah and then the thing that we did that i was just enjoyed the most was uh we did some stuff together. We did some soloing and, and fun stuff. Then I taught a lesson that they're going to use on, on their website and on their social media channels. But then we did a whole microphone thing where we showed my two mic setup. And mm-hmm. admittedly, it's kind of expensive. It's $2,500 for those two mics. And then we did that at $500. So a cheaper overhead, cheaper bass drum mic. Mm-hmm. Then we did the one mic, which this is going to be a product review for uh, for this podcast in the next couple of days. We did so Audio Technica now has the AT twenty twenty USB I, so it it comes with a a cable that goes straight out of the microphone into your iPhone. Oh wow! Um, so it's got a lightning jack or a lightning cable, and uh-huh. myself and the guy that was helping me with all this, who's like a big time producer, his name was uh, Lynn, I think, and uh, old school Nashville producer. We plugged this thing in straight into a an iPad mini, recorded a quick take, grabbed great headphones and listened back and we both just had like these this crazy look on our face like that can't be right. We're we're missing <laughs> something. It shouldn't sound that good. So this is a large diaphragm microphone that goes straight into a into your phone or to your iPad. How so, long is the cable? Not in my opinion, not long enough. Yeah. Um it's probably maybe a, an eight foot cable. So it's long. That's not too it's not, bad. No, yeah, but I mean, I guess for my thought is, I guess what you could probably do, what would probably be best would be to get an iPad or an iPhone clamped for the mic stand and actually use your phone or the iPad as a monitor for wherever you put the, the microphone. You know, that could be something cool, too. Yeah. Because so, if you use it as an overhead, it would be a great place. What, does it work with video, like iMovie? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so yeah, you could do it however you want to do it. We did it. Um, we were able to put the iPad on the straight part of the stand facing the drum set. So you mm-hmm. saw the whole thing. And then we then we put the stand even higher and boomed it out and made it an overhead. And it worked flawlessly. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So I have Audio-Technica sending me one of those. So I'll, as soon as it gets here, I'll review it. But it was, it was incredible. So anyways, what's going to happen is on Sweetwater, you're going to see this video. Oh, and then we had the, the, all the drums close mic'd as well. So mm-hmm. it's a 45-second drum solo, but you'll get to hear it with my two-mic setup, the cheaper two-mic setup, the single mic uh, going straight into the iPad setup, 
and then all of the mics. And it's always the same pass. We recorded all the channels at once, but they're going to kind of A-B those different sound sources. So it should be fun. That's great. That's yeah, I think it'll be helpful cool. for a lot of people. Yeah. So, all right, buddy. Well, let's talk about some gear. This is not gear review, but sounds. And actually, what's cool is part of the speech I gave at Sweetwater was about this. Uh, a big part of the speech was about gear trends because I wanted to help them. If they're on the phone and a parent is calling and says, I have $150 to spend on my son or daughter and they're a drummer, they need to be aware about gear trends. So what one thing I was telling them was mm-hmm. like, hey, percussion is kind of out but making your drums more percussive is way in. So yeah, yeah. instead of adding a tambourine to the kit, now we're putting jingles on the snare drum. Yeah, exactly. So what we want to talk about is snare drum effects. You guys featured this in the January issue. So did you do any homemade review stuff, or was this the current products that are out by the main manufacturers? You know, when we were talking about this idea, we originally were thought, you know, let's do a combination of both, but there's so much stuff available for purchase now that it, it would be too long. It would be too big of a story. So we just right. focused on purchasable products that you can just put on your drum. It doesn't require you to take the head off or anything to okay. modify your your drum at all. So it, so that kind of eliminated certain certain things as well. So we focused on like the you know the the Sabian Hoop Crasher, and Dream has its own version of that card the called the Reefx Crop Circles. Two different sizes: the Minel Ching Ring, the Minel Drumbles. Remember those things? Oh yeah, Johnny yeah. Rab, man. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Both of those in the big fat snare drum things. Uh, Aquarian is advertising their kick patch is actually a, a big fat snare drum type of effect. It, it does work. Yeah, absolutely. So all that, and then we got some weird little things from LP that are like magnetic attachments that have jingles, and one has snares, and one has shakers, and it just hooks to the hoop. So that was pretty cool. And then we got the two minor uh, backbeat tambourine things, which are meant to okay. go on the snare. Yeah, yeah. So we just talked about all that stuff. And, and <clears throat> you know, we uh, we just had one drum tuned one way and just recorded it just to see how it would change the sound. And it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the video for it will be in the show notes. But uh, my favorite of the bunch was actually the um, the LP sound enhancer with the snare wires is kind of cool. Okay. So it's a magnetic plastic thing that has like know, maybe a third of the length of a normal snare wire that just sits on top of the head. Oh yeah, yeah. So you could put it on anything. You put it on a rack tom, you could put it on a floor tom, you could put And it is on it a- and it's is it like a 20 strand or I think so. I think it's just so, like a standard snappy snare just cut yeah. down. Yeah. And they're kind of stiff, right? So yeah. I mean, they're it's not like, like a wiggling around. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. I've seen that. Okay, it was neat. I mean, you couldn't hear it if you played the snare with the regular snares on. It didn't really do anything. Okay, but turning the snares off, it kind of gave it like a like a pipe pipe band sounding, like real dry, oh. dry. Effect. Okay, but I like messing around with it on the toms. It's just kind of a oh. cool a cool thing. Yeah, that'd be a way to. That was actually one of the trends we talked about um, between me and Nick at Sweetwater was using snare drums as toms but that might be a way to do it without having to buy another snare drum and put it in the place of a tom yeah you could just throw that onto your first rack tom or your floor tom exactly pretty cool i mean it's pretty tight the the wires push pretty hard against the head so uh, it it kind of it mutes the drum a good bit it's not like you uh, can use a floor tom and have it be rumbly and deep sure it's gonna choke it out a bit so smaller drums and snare drums that worked really well Uh, i was surprised at how loud the sabian hoop crasher was (laughs) Have now, is that, that the one that JoJo uses off to yeah. his side on yeah, a side like, snare? It's like two pieces of um, – it's like a 14-inch circle, and it's got a couple layers of, of – And you don't actually hit it. You just hit the drum normally, right? You can do both. Or do you, 
Okay. It's designed, which was really cool. If you just hit the drum in the center of the head, you don't hear the hoop crasher at all. It's just oh, completely really? silent, which is really So it's neat. just a dead, fat snare drum. Yeah, exactly. But if you hit, oh. the, hit the crasher, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty gnarly white noise sound. Yeah, and, and when you hit it, do you, you don't hit it with the tip of the stick. You just hit like a rim shot. And yeah, that... you can. Or you can, yeah, rim shot is what I did most of the time. Okay. It was a real kind of funky sound. And it has wow. like a couple of clips that you can use to, to tighten it down and stuff. But we didn't even bother with that. We just put it on the drum and just. And is it 14 inches? Yeah, okay. it is. It was pretty crazy. That one was, was really surprising. The, uh, the dream crop circles are a little more subtle. They have jingles on them, and it's not like two layers. It's just one layer of metal. Okay. So you can still Same hit thing, it. Same thing, 14 inches? They have a 10 and a 14. Oh, wow. Okay. They were kind of neat. The the 10 was kind of hard to navigate around. I ended right. up whacking it a little bit. <laughs> kind of, you know, unexpectedly. But the 14 was, it was just a similar thing to the Hoop Crasher, just not as harsh, and it has jingles sounds right. in it, which is fun. And then the Ching Ring, which you've used a bunch. Do you use it yeah. on a snare drum? I have. I mean... I actually, when I use it on my side snare, I use the Vader Buzz Kills to kind of trap it so it doesn't move as much. Okay. So I'll put uh, one on each side and it just kind of stays put. Um, that's my only complaint about something like that that's not meant specifically for a snare drum. That was definitely meant to be a hi-hat thing. Yeah. Um, is that it just moves around a lot. And I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of what we all went through when Splash Symbol on the snare drum came out. Yep. It's cool, but the, it's moving all over the place. You hit it, and it's hard to be consistent with it. Yep. Uh, same thing with your wallet. You know, your wallet just kind of always moves down to the bottom, and maybe yep. you want it to be even deader than that. <clears throat> so, so I think um, with the Ching Ring, that's that's where they introduced that other one that you were talking about. That's kind of like a half circle, and it like fits perfectly in the rim. Yeah, that's the um, the backbeat tambourines. Yeah, and they have to have the Velcro thing that you can kind of double sided tape it to your head, so you can pull yeah, it off. I, li- it's- I like that one just because. I like I like consistency with that kind of stuff. I want it to stay in the same spot. I want it to have the same sound yeah. every time. So I like things that are made for that. Um, you know, so so that one I like. As far as the ching ring, I, I think that's awesome. I love the ching ring actually on a floor tom and letting it just go bananas. And it just gives me when I'm going for that Matt Chamberlain. Why does his tom sound like that thing? Yeah, that's yeah. one of those things. You know. Yeah, that was it was fun. It definitely bounced around. I could even get it to jump off the drum if I yep. did it you know, the <laughs> <Yeah>. right way. <laughs> it was cool. And the same thing with the uh, the drumbles, the the little I don't know if they're brass cymbals with a handle. There's an yep. eight and a ten inch. Yeah, the they were they stayed on the drum pretty good, but they still bounced around a good bit. Yeah, I think you with that kind of stuff, you got to really be really into it, not just kind of dinking around. You know, like because when you watch Johnny Rab do it, it's like. Uh, I need 10 of those, you know, but you would have to really, I think those things are almost like brushes where you can't just own them. You have to, you have to fellowship with them, put in the time and then all of a sudden they become very magical. Uh, But, but yeah, I I always wanted to try that Sabian thing just because when Jojo plays it, it's incredible. But uh, you know, I I just realized I've never heard one in person. I've always heard them when Jojo's mixing it. So it's funny to hear you say that it's, pretty loud yeah it's like a ribbon crasher it sounds right. a lot like a oh, ribbon crasher man i love those things <laughs> oh i man i i toured with those i, I that was my jam oh uh, you know i used uh, a china on a gig for the first time in years really uh, a couple weeks ago <clears throat> and it was you know i was like yeah i'm gonna have this 18 inch china i'm gonna be able to get some heavy accents some man, that, that thing didn't put out any sound i was so it was really? so dissatisfying 
Yeah. Wow. Because I'm used to like big 20 inch crashes yeah. that just kind of envelop you. Yeah. Hit that thing and it was like, is this thing broken? Is, there, is this on? Is, is this, this on? on? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so that was my brief, brief uh, flirting with a China symbol so back funny. in my setup. That poor little 18 is like the <laughs> only reason that it's like now for the next three years you won't use China's. And it's like, dude. They specifically made me to be a little less, you know, it, uh, you know, aggressive, be a little more understated. Nah. Was it a was it a, a thick china or was it a thin china? It was the um, it was thin. It was a thin. Okay. It was a Zildjian S series that from the review okay. I did a while back. Yep. I still had it here, so I'm like, let me take this to this rock gig and <laughs> see how gnarly. Because I know Jason Bittner's using it, so I've, and these metal guys are using them. Yeah. They got but, so many mics and triggers. Yeah, and it just gave me nothing. Like I, I was hoping I'd go to like the end of a big fill and hit that sucker and it'd be like, oh, yeah. Isn't that the worst too when you're like, trying to really put an exclamation <laughs> point on it and nothing happens? Oh, There's nothing worse than trying to get a good solid bell hit and all you get is a giant thing of felt. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst, dude. That's the worst. I'm like, all right. I'm experimenting with space. So, yeah. um, so let me ask you this: What about homemade <clears throat> stuff? Do you use anything that's I mean, not for sale? I used to make my own big fat snare drum type things. Okay, so I would just, just cut out a head, yeah, cut out a head, and flip yep. it upside down so it would, um, you know, kind of sit pretty flush. And I and then I also cut center circles out of it, like they do for their one of the, one of them called um, Steve's Donut. I think is what it's called. Okay. Which is my favorite of of their products because you can it has a hole in the center so you can still actually get some rebound off the drum. The regular, oh, cool. the original big fat snare drum is just it's a thud. Boof. You're not yeah. gonna get much, but you can roll right. with with the donut. So I used to make those. Um, obviously, the uh, the big fat snare drum stays in place and and is designed to yeah. function a lot better than the homemade one. Um, I used to cut. I, actually, I still have it. I used to cut up old snare wires and and hook little clamps to them and put them on the bass drum and stuff to kind of give me really like african sounding drums drum cool. tones um wow you know it, it worked okay but eventually it would it would fall off but what other what other homemade stuff i mean tea towels done that a million times yeah sure i'm sure. just like six months ago realized that you can keep a tea towel in place with binder clips i would always just lay it on there and eventually it would fall off the drum right. and have to grab it and put it back on yeah, you can just use those those black binder clips and hook oh. it to the rim. Done. It, it keeps it right in place. Boom. Now, now all you got to do is sell tea towels with your logo on it and, yeah, and a right? clip, and it's like you reinvented <laughs> the wheel, man. It's the way to go. But yeah, that's about as far. I mean, I didn't. I used the uh, goat's toes rattles. I was just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool, man. But yeah, you know, not too much. I'm kind of just yeah, a play the drum kind of a guy. I'm the same. I. I I see all the things that come out, you know, Aquarian, obviously, when they come out with all their stuff, they're like, hey, let us send you this whole pack. And I'm like, hey, just keep sending me my Super 2 Coateds. I, <laughs> I really don't, I won't use it, you know. Um, I actually just went through this with uh, somebody else that was making really, really cool stuff. And I just had to let them know, like, dude, I'm just not, I'm just not a gimmick guy. I'm really mm-hmm. not. I like a rack tom, a floor tom, a bass drum, a <laughs> snare drum, you know. And, I mean, I guess as gimmicky as I get, and I don't even have it on my kit right now, but is Normally I have a stacker, but other than that, I kind of feel like, man, I can barely even play this thing as is. I don't need yeah. to add more to it. It just makes it more confusing for me. So Yeah, I put um, up a second floor tom this week just to just to kind of test my camera angles to see if I could get two floor toms in a shot. Right. And I was like, I don't I don't 
have any need for this. It's just <laughs> one extra thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you feel this responsibility to like completely turn your <laughs> spine to get over to it. Because it can't just be there specifically to hold your drinks. I mean, at yeah. some point you have to hit it. It's like, what am I doing? Yeah. This is you know, so, but so. I, I think all of that stuff, the reason why that part of, the, of our industry is growing so much is people are playing a lot of mixed music where you can't really tell is it real drums, is it fake drums? And yeah. the real drummer wants to play. You know, man, I don't know if I brought this up to you and I'll, I'll make this as quick of a tangent as possible, but I was listening to the alternative station. Uh, in my car recently and mm-hmm. in the gym just because I wanted to find like, okay, who are the new bands? Are there bands anymore? <laughs> I mean, it couldn't have just stopped at Foo Fighters. There has to be bands. <laughs> and there are, but man, I would be scared out of my mind if I was a guitar player. Yeah, I heard no almost guitar. no guitar. It's all I heard sense. drums in every song. <laughs> I heard drums in every single song. I did not, and I really did not hear any like jig jig. Like there was no, and there wasn't acoustic guitar. It was just exactly, it was synths. <laughs> singing bass and then real drums and i was like whoa and even if they weren't real drums the drum part was so important that i was like you'd have to take a drummer on tour to do this yeah right so because i remember i mean you know as well as i do we've gone through a couple moments in our history since we've been alive where it's like okay this is kind of scary for the drummer i'm not hearing any real drums at all and the only real drums i'm hearing is like this four on the floor bass drum synth thing yeah um techno thing and I was like really excited. I was like, "Wow, there's real drums in all of this." I was listening to Modest Mouse and yeah. you know just all these different bands. But I was like, hey, "I'd be a little scared if I was a guitar player." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm there's glad no solos anymore. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if your if your favorite guitar player is CC Deville from Poison, <laughs> you are out for a while. Uh, all right, so uh, I would love to hear from you guys too, and Mike and I both would. If you guys ever want to send in, instead of a listener question, just send in, hey, this is what I've been putting on my snare lately or been putting on my drums, we would love to share that with the rest of our audience. So please feel free to write mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and let us know what you're using on your snare. Let's talk about, since 2017 is coming up, let's talk about reviewing and renewing goals. Uh, Russ Miller did a column for you guys in the January issue with yep. uh, Chris Dave on the cover. So what was the article encompassing? Uh, it was exactly that. It was um, <clears throat> it's a two-part thing. But in this one, he talked about you know just, just defining who you are and what do you want to be um, and then tweaking, you know, just kind of assessing where you where, what you did the past year or so and and try to figure out if you've if you've achieved any goals if you haven't what do you want to be doing what have you been doing just reassessing everything about uh, professional personal everything livelihood yeah um, and I think it's a you know I'm not a I'm not a new, a new year's resolution guy but I'm right. definitely a goal setter um, yeah I'm the same and I kind of do it it's I don't know periodic parts of the year I'm like all right I got to see where am I at what have I what have I been shoving off into the back burner what you know what's really important to me what do I think's important to me yeah what do I want to be important to me but it's just not like there's all yeah that what, what stuff. should be important to me but I yeah I, I'm with you I'm I'm kind of anti-establishment like if I'm going to be nice to my wife it's not going to be on Valentine's Day I <laughs> yeah. feel it's like I don't want to be nice to you today it feels like the lamest day to be nice to you um, <laughs> fact, if I'm, I'm not gonna, even going to see you today <laughs> exactly I'm going to work all day today and if I'm going to you know if I'm going to make resolutions it's not going to be because we changed the number on the calendar yeah. it's going to be because I'm motivated and I want to do this um, whether it be drums or whatever but what I think is funny is Personal resolutions, whether they be for New Year's or not, it always is 
uh, work, family, maybe fitness. But rarely do people take that kind of time and put that into their drumming. Even if it's just a weekend warrior drummer that just plays a little bit, it's like, man, just take a little time out of your day to think, are you any better this year than you were last year? And if not, that's okay, but why? Did you not make getting better a priority? Sometimes people make drumming a priority, but progressing on the instrument is not a priority because they're mm-hmm. they're happy where they are. They just want to play the damn drums, which is totally fine. But I, you and I are very similar. Like if I have a year where I feel that I'm worse than I was the year before, I, I don't even know what I'd do. I'd be yeah. so depressed. I would hate to be <laughs> like, oh, do you remember 2007 Mike Dawson? That guy ripped. <laughs> You sir, do not like that. That would suck, you know. I think thank, um, thankfully for me, when I listen back to recordings from years and years ago and up till now, I always hear <clears throat> at least a level of maturity that of growth. Like I, yes, I maybe don't have the independence and the chops I had when I was twenty one when I was practicing six seven hours a day, but I didn't know what the hell I was playing. I was just playing yeah. stuff, playing it was nonsense. hard, yeah, yeah. And not, you know, so I feel like every time I listen back, I'm like, or at least I got that one little detail a little bit better, for instance, right. not slowing down the first backbeat after a drum fill. Man, that one's going to stick in your craw for a oh, while. <laughs> well, it's, well, it's one of the, again, it's like Pandora's <laughs> box. Once you hear it, you can't unhear right. it. And then it's yeah. like, it becomes a laser beam focus. Like, wow. I've got to push through this fill and not be late on the freaking backbeat right. afterwards. Most people Man. probably rush that backbeat, but... I think I right. take a mental break and I and I and I slow it down. <laughs> Just so happy I got yeah. to the fill. <clears throat> so anyway, at least, I don't know if, if it's the same for you, but at least I I feel like little things are better. I might have lost totally. some of the big impressive stuff, but right. the little details, maturity is always there, and that's that's what I'm looking for. Is well, and I think I think for for me, I'm trying to get closer <clears throat> and closer to being my dream drummer, and my dream drummer right now doesn't have a ton of chops. Um, doesn't have a ton of licks. It's, you know, what's funny is the thing that I did with Ash and and Carter. That was my dream drummer. All three of us together. Uh, you know, yes. it had the backbeat of Ash, the creativity <laughs> of Carter McLean, and then just the whatever the hell I do. And it was like, yeah, I, I want to be that guy. And, and none of it was hard. It's just you can't do it all at the same time. But I think right now I'm at a place where I just want to be able to play something that sounds good, yeah. something that feels good. Um, and that people enjoy. And, and obviously I want to have enough chops to say, okay, it's, we've been here for a while. Let me give you a little fireworks. And, um, and honestly, as an educator, that, that kind of is my job is that I have to have those moments in my playing that pique people's interest to be like, what was that? It's like, cool. Now we're, now we can have a conversation between educator and student. So I always want to have that, but that's, I don't listen to a lot of that bombastic drumming. That's just constant chops and blazing. And I'm totally impressed by it. You know, if I go see, Ronald Bruner do his thing. I'm absolutely impressed by it and just in awe. But I also don't leave going, I wish that was me. It's like, cool, he already exists. Let him do that. But I also don't feel that – I feel the exact same way about Steve Jordan. I go watch it. I appreciate it. I love it. But I don't leave going, I wish I just played solid grooves all the time because mm-hmm. I, I don't. So that's really what it comes down to is who – like Russ is talking about in the article. Who are you? What are your goals? And how are you going to get closer to achieving those goals? So speaking of that, what are – even though we're not going to divide things up into years, I, let's just say for the next 12 months of your life, what are some of your short-term goals? Short-term goals is to is to <clears throat> not play it safe when I'm recording. That's like a okay. – that's, that's definitely a goal. I, I – you know, when 
when you get obsessed with subdivision and time to the to the point where that's all you think about, it ends up filtering out everything. So that was cool. I'm able to play a solid track now, but now I feel like trust yourself, go for it, try some stuff that might be a little bit more surprising rather than you know the most obvious um, solid, if you will, way to play. <clears throat> there has to be a way to kind of be loose and reckless and not sound sloppy. Right. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for nice. a little bit of danger. Um, so I'm just going to just experiment and see how far I can push it without destroying all the hard work I've put into the play in time. <laughs> I love it, man. You know. That's a, that's a, a great thing. Finding that balance is tough, yeah. man. The other Super thing tough. for me is to the confidence. Like you were talking about, you know, Steve Jordan and, and so on. So I, I, when I hear a certain type of drummer play live, there's a confidence that is just undeniable. And I, I, it's, it's almost like magic for me. Yeah. Like you can hear a great drummer play. They sound awesome. They do some cool stuff. But there's always those few that have a magical twist. Like the Bernard Purdy's, like he hits a drum, it just sounds amazing no matter what he yeah. does. That's also a quest I'm in for. And I think it's confidence. Jim Keltner, it, it is. whenever he hits I, I a think drum. I don't know. I, I I feel like they have some sort of, like you said, magic ability to bro- to block things, the negative talk about themselves. It's almost like it's almost like they're ignorant to the possible that possibility that things could go wrong for them. Yeah, it doesn't occur to them that it, that this could be sloppy or late or they might miss it. They just, like you said, it, it's like a ignorant confidence of just like I don't know, just play the damn drums. And I'm like, yeah. well. I would like to, but I start thinking, <laughs> and then it all goes bad, man. Steve Gadd uh, is another one. I mean, yeah, it's like the you know, as much as I love Vinny, and I think he's probably the greatest drummer of all time. <clears throat> he doesn't hit me on a visceral level like Steve Gadd does. Mm-hmm. I'm talking live when you see him yes. in the flesh, not yep. on recordings. So there's just something different there, and yeah. I think it's just his Gadd's just relaxed, confident, just effortless approach. While still going for it. He's not playing lazy. You know what scares me, though, is, I mean, you see that in Gad when he's in his early 20s, you know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. all right, so I wonder, do you guys just have it? And I just can't achieve that relaxed nature. You know, I watch certain clinicians that I do these these uh, festivals with, and it's like, man, I don't think your heart is pounding at all right now. <laughs> I, I, I don't even think you know that you're here, you know? Um and and it's it's a cool thing for sure. I mean, it's definitely a quest. And I do think that anything can be learned, anything can be practiced. Yeah. And some people are very natural at things. There's no, you would you would honestly be lying to yourself if you assumed that I didn't practice teaching. That like, oh, he's just a natural teacher. It's like, yeah, man, yeah. I practice this more than anything else. But it also came natural to me. Drumming is the opposite. It never came natural to me. It still doesn't come natural to me. Everything is a struggle, one note at a time. No matter what I'm learning. And but it can be learned, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes I just feel like there are people, the Steve Gads of the world, uh, that just when they get on stage, they just feel more at home than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and those are the I'm people that for, tour yeah. in, into the seventies, you know. Yeah, that's what I want. Like, I, definitely times when I go to sit at my kit and I just feel like this is a foreign world. Like I don't feel comfortable <laughs> at all. <clears throat> you know, nothing is right. Uh, Everything is off so funny that we can both feel that way and we both played <laughs> our entire lives but i want that you know like you know dom familara talks about that and his when he goes all around the world and he's you know going straight from the airplane to the clinic and he's like 
that's home. Well, the drums are home. I feel like I've arrived at home and I say hello to my kid and right. I'm able to have a conversation. That's not the case for me. If I drive six hours to a gig and I get behind a kid, it's like I'd rather have a sandwich. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> my body's like, you ain't ready for this. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking for that as well, just to find some tools and devices to just feel settled, comfortable, Man. and consistent. That's the thing. You would you would definitely hate the uh, the what do you, the festival world of okay everyone's here to see you shine the greatest drummers in the world are going to play too and we're so happy to have you here no I'm sorry you cannot warm up like yeah. there's no because there's like five <laughs> drummers you get a sound check of rack kicks and airflow and then but you don't get to like be out on stage and really rip for an hour you know yeah, yeah. and so you never get comfortable and then and it's never your kit so you're kind of playing a house kit where they're like, well, we know you play Gretsch and we don't carry that in this country, but this company starts with a G and I'm like, well, okay. Um, you know, and, and then like always there's like that one piece of hardware that somebody didn't tight down and you just, all of a sudden your snare kind of falls in your lap. You're like, Oh geez. I remember at your festival at the, the modern drummer. Well, it was the, uh, what's the one in Ohio. Columbus you guys, days, yeah. Yeah. Drum days that you guys sponsored. Uh, right in the middle of my solo, the, the cowbell fell off of my my oh, yeah. floor tom. Right, yeah. it just started flopping around like a dead <laughs> fish on my floor tom, and I was like, "Oh, this is like a really, really important section. This was going to be three minutes mm. <laughs> of my solo." So you just uh, just got to make it happen. But yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I I those moments where you you do feel at home, those are the magical moments for me. Cause yeah. It's like, oh, I wish I could, I wish I could recreate this on purpose. Yeah, just kind of have to wait for it to happen. There's got to so. be devices for it. So that's you know that's a quest for me for the next year to cool. just come up with some devices where I'm always I mean, I'm pretty close. I mean I play on crappy kits all the time, so I and I'm able to kind of just push through bad monitoring and things like that now. But now I want to get to that point where I feel like the music that's coming out of me is at that same comfort level as you know because I get especially when I'm playing on a weird stage. I feel like I have to babysit everyone and, and make sure okay. you know drive the bus make sure everything yeah. everyone is flowing smoothly <clears throat> but i don't think i need to be that that worried about everyone else well i mean i think also too those drummers that we're talking about when you do your job at that level that kind of takes care of itself yeah you know it kind of it's people have no option other than to follow you because it's just so confident and they're and they're just you know your confidence will obviously breathe itself into everyone else on stage as well and yeah so because i've definitely oh go ahead i'll say what's your goal for the year it's it's definitely different it's not really related to my drumming but i'm i'm coming up on my eighth year of drum camps here at the facility so i've done a little over 70 drum camps here and i've done a few around the world and so i each year i rewrite the curriculum so we have an intermediate curriculum and an advanced curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I write two new books every year for the people that are returning. I don't want them to go through the same camp. Well, one of the problems I've been having, and I don't want to give too much away because I want the people to come to camp to be a little bit surprised by the way the curriculum's changed. But one of the problems I have is, let's say that I have some guy that's really good at the pocket thing. He just lays down the fattest pocket. His idol is Steve Jordan, and that's all he wants to do with his life is he just someday wants to play with John Mayer. And we're in an advanced camp. I feel really not good for the day of the curriculum that is all about polyrhythms and metric modulation. <laughs> yeah. And he's taking it. He's getting depressed. He's like, I can't believe how bad I suck at this. And it's like, bro, you shouldn't be doing this. 
Yeah. You just have to do it because it's part of the curriculum. And there's four guys and girls around you that have practiced it before. So even though you've been our pocket king all week, you don't know how to do this. Now you're depressed. Now you hate yourself. And it's like, but honestly, if you were my private, if you were my private student, I would never have you doing it. So my goal this year, and I've been working on it a little bit. I'm going to test it at the camp, the Common Thread Camp, in uh, in about a week. But my goal is, can I get eight people to all have their own drum camp simultaneously? Hmm. So it, there's hmm. now that it's not just an idea. This there's already a book in place, uh, and so. Like I said, I don't want to give out too much, but it's it is well thought out. I'm not just like what if, um, but I think it could be really cool. That my, here's my goal: every note you play while you're at my camp is relative to your dreams and your goals. Every single note. Um, now that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to push you way outside your comfort zone. But if your dream was to be a drum set clinician. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to play a 10-minute drum solo. You're going to yeah. have to figure it out. Yeah. Why should a gigging drummer ever have to p- practice a 10-minute drum solo? That's silly. Mm-hmm. So if I can have – and now with eight people, I can manage those eight different dreams all happening at the same time. Now it's going to be very well organized, and we're all going to be building it around the four-stage practice method. So let's say class one is non-creative. What will be happening is that you'll have eight people working on eight individual non-creative exercises that are relative to their personal dreams and goals. Yeah, cool. And all of that will exist in exist in this giant book. So, um, all right, <laughs> <laughs> dude, you know me, man. I don't care. I like the drums. They're cute. They're cool. Whatever. <laughs> Education is like my obsession. I I don't ever. I never go to sleep without thinking about a way that I could reinvent some form of explaining something to somebody. So, yeah, I got to. It's what drives me. I got to do it. Yeah, the little bit of teaching I do, it's, you know, I could I just go by rote and pick up a book and say we're going to go this way. But I'm kind of feeling like it's our responsibility to craft a unique curriculum for every student. And I have a of course. particularly challenging student who's he's a high school student. He's an EDM producer, and he knows okay. nothing about music. So wow. he's composing music completely on his intuition and experience just listening okay. to music. Yeah. So he's draw he's using Ableton Live and drawing in melodies on the piano roll. <clears throat> Doesn't know why it works or what, you know. <laughs> and so and he wanted to take music theory lessons. Okay. So I'm like having to deconstruct what this kid already knows, but also make sure that I'm not pushing him too hard or boring him or taking it too far away from his goal, which is to be an EDM producer. Right. <clears throat> And it's really challenging because I'm. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's got a doctorate in music, and he's like, "Yeah, think of all the stuff you do as kids that prepares you in a, for music theory. Like you learn how to write music in elementary school. You learn how to read basic treble clef in elementary school. Um, and as soon as you pick up an instrument, you're learning theory all along the way. You just don't realize it. Yeah. This is someone who just bought a laptop and started making music as a teenager. Right. And he doesn't know what a major scale is. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. even know where C is. And that's like is. a super, super common reality right now, you know? Yeah. So I feel um, like it's my responsibility to to somehow unlock this. I mean, music theory can be the most unrelated to actual music concept. I mean, it's uh, the way it's taught a lot of times, it's like it's math. It's not music. Right. So I'm trying to keep it, you know, related to the music that he wants to make, but at the same time making sure that I, he doesn't over, you know, I don't 
skip over really important stuff like can you spell out a major chord you know how many half steps are in a major third right um, but also not making it sound like homework so it's really tough and i yeah, part I of think, me wants yeah. to just say, I, I can't do this. But the other part is like, man, <laughs> this kid's got talent and he yeah, wants to do this. So I mean, and that's the, the teacher part of it is like, dude, you, it's just a, an awesome code for you to crack. I mean, it really, for that kid, it's going to come down to you figuring out the nuances of the big things that are very obvious. Like when people think of, you know, a major chord <clears throat> making you feel happy, minor chord making you feel sad. It's like, okay go 20 times deeper with that because his whole purpose in doing this is to make people feel a certain way. So every every ounce of sound and theory that you give him has to be relative to feelings. Yeah, and if exactly. he knows why this theory creates this feeling, then he will use it. If it's just theory for theory's sake, then there's no reason to use it. He doesn't even need it. He's doing fine without it yeah. in his mind. So that's that's the bridge there is that theory will unlock deeper amounts of feeling that he can give to his listeners uh, on a much, much grander scale. So, yeah, um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I, lo- I love your East Coast optimism. See how it goes, loser. No, it's been cool. It's been a couple months, and, and <clears throat> you know, there's definitely been some aha moments where he's like, oh, That's cool, yeah, man. I can hear that, or I can write melodies. You know, if I know arpeggios, I can write melodies, and, and every note's going to sound good. Or I showed him the, made the, the major pentatonic scale. Mm. I was like, you can play any of these notes in over these three keys, these three chord types, and it'll sound great. And it kind of blew his mind. Like, oh, right. that's how those oh. guys do all that stuff. Like, yeah, oh. it's not really that difficult when you know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's awesome. I, I <clears throat> You know, for me, I could have all the theory in the world, but I don't have any of the creativity inside my head to do anything with it sometimes. Um, so I'm not... And I wonder if if I had more music theory, and I'm not talking about drum set and rhythmic theory, but if I had more music theory and melodic theory, I wonder if maybe I would hear things differently and I would have melodic creativity in my head um, just by knowing yeah. that stuff. Uh, probably, so, probably so. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, as soon as I started learning bass guitar, I, I felt the groove completely differently. And I can only imagine it just it made my part, my, the way I made, write my parts, completely different. I mean, it was right. really kind of strange how... If I only listened to the drummers on the records that I liked, I'd be missing the whole genesis of why they play what they play. And actually learning Man. the bass parts is like, oh, that these don't line up at all. Or the kick drum and the bass are bouncing off each other, or they're completely locked in. It's very rare, actually, that they're completely locked in. It's so crazy. When you see you know, some of these videos that we watch on YouTube and stuff, when you see people that actually film the bass player up close how much more you hear the bass line and then you realize how brilliant it is. And I'm thinking immediately of uh, the thing that Daniel Lenoir did with Trixie Whitley and oh, Brian yeah. Blade. And who was on bass on that? Um, I don't remember. Uh, is that Chris Wood? No. Um, I can't remember. But anyways, uh, once they showed a close-up of what he was playing in his bass line, immediately I couldn't get the bass line out of my head, but then yeah. all of Brian Blade's parts made way more sense. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't until like two minutes in where they showed a close-up of the bass player. So awesome. <clears throat> well, Russ Miller, thank you for getting us to talk about our dreams and goals for 2017. <laughs> Should be great. All right, let's get into some candy, a little gear review. This is the DW Cherry Mahogany Kit. Yes, indeed. This, this thing is no joke. Uh, very, very affordable. Uh, <laughs> Uh, very affordable just ask your parents for one I'd say probably you're going to want to go with an 8 piece just to have all your bases covered 
no, I mean this is this is big boy stuff. This is top of the line, top of the line gear. So, uh, what? First of all, what was your configuration that you had? What did they send? They sent uh, a six piece kit. I believe. Um, yeah, it had a so 10, 12, 14, 16. Yep, eight by ten, nine by twelve, twelve by fourteen, four paint, fourteen by sixteen. <laughs> a, a deep eighteen by twenty two inch bass drum and a six and a half by fourteen snare. And was the snare matching? Yeah, everything was cherry mahogany, um, and it was. I think it all had the regular uh, chrome. It didn't have the nickel. I don't think it had the nickel plated hardware, which I really like. The right the nickel. The yeah, I don't think yeah. They call it bright nickel is what they're calling it. I think. I think it looks really great, but I think these just had the regular chrome, natural um, <clears throat> natural finish, so you could really see the cherry. What nice. was really the most amazing about these drums <clears throat> was that. I could crank them up like as high. Like when I have to say high tuning, I'm I'm usually thinking like Simon Phillips or on the verge okay. of getting into bebop land, right? Where it's a, you know it's bright. It's got some attack and and some brightness. These things sounded like they were tuned low, no matter what I did. It was really really. It was kind so of shocking. give me the give me the <clears throat> shell construction. Is it just one ply of cherry? Is it multiple plies? What's the ply? It is inner and outer plies of vertical grain mahogany. Okay. Um, and then the center is the cherry. So I'm assuming then that the natural finish didn't really let the cherry shine uh, yeah, out too much. mahogany. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, I had to bust your, your cojones just once real quick. <laughs> you know, they're both kind of red. It it's all good. Similar. Ain't no thing. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I was assuming that there was inner mm-hmm. mahogany just because you said that no matter how tight you tune them, they just stayed kind of deep and low. So yeah. mahogany has that characteristic. So you have mahogany on <laughs> outside and then cherry on the inside so <clears throat> well no cherry now, in the center mahogany yeah. on the in and out so yeah like I'm sorry. when i said inside yeah. i meant inside of the sandwich right right yep okay <clears throat> cool man and so how many tuning ranges did you do with these i generally just do three i, I go high medium and low cool. and then you know because i try to whenever i review a kit i try to be as consistent and scientific as as possible between kits so i i use the tunebot app and i go you know put the sizes of the drums that are there into their configurator i put maximum sustain and then raise the pitch by three notes whatever so it's the highest note that they they suggest for maximum sustain and then i go to the medium and then i go to the low on on every every kit so Kind of across the board, whenever I, you hear a demo I've done, it's those three tunings. Gotcha. Um, it just I need some sort of, of control in when I'm testing out drums, so I'm not. Now, let me ask you this. So let's say you have a six-piece DW Maple kit right now. You have a collector series. Yeah. Why? What would you use this for? Did you notice any different? I mean, you've probably reviewed 10 or 20 dw kits i mean does yeah. this thing have its own place in the lineup it does this might have been my favorite dw kit i've ever played really quite honestly because cool, the the cherry is like a lot of punch and kind of tightness but then the mahogany just drops the pitch way way down so you're getting wow. like a, a birch kind of a response and and focus but like way down like the, the wow. note is just lower because i That's like so birch cool. bass drums are like always too high to me i can't yeah. get a birch bass drum to sound low enough this was like, you can't bring it up to birch. <laughs> you just can't get it to that, you know, the birch level. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a contemporary modern sound, it's, but it's like a dark, deep-sounding, snappy, punchy kit. Wow. I wonder if uh, at some point 
they'll start offering maybe that as a a bass drum and a floor tom and then a birch rack tom yeah. you know, who who knows if they'll start mixing up especially if you're using a wrap where the finish you you know you wouldn't be competing with different woods um and honestly uh even though I was kind of joking about the price I mean it's an expensive drum set uh, you know as, as it should be yeah. but it's not more expensive than anything else it's actually right in line with with their maple series with their other stuff so if you have like the pure oak or or this one you're looking at probably about sale price about 5500 bucks where something in that same configuration with like an exotic wood you're looking at probably seven thousand dollars so it's not it's not like the price is going up because of this configuration it's actually staying kind of low for relative to their stuff so it's pretty cool and i think where where dw really you know puts the extra detail is just in the hardware i mean the uh, the tension rods have you know more more threads you can do it's it holds tuning better and you can get finer tuning the right Everything is just detailed. The floor tom legs are really, really nice, and the brackets yeah. are really. There's no just generic stuff thrown on these kits. It's exactly what you'd expect when you pay that kind of money. You you expect the best of the best, and it kind of is. And I mean, just the fact that guys, if you if you guys don't know, I mean, they those tension rods, everything is made at DW now. It used to be okay. We make the drums, and then we get the lugs from this place. And we get the washers from this place. They make the washers at DW. Yeah. They have yeah. these old World War II machines spitting <laughs> out washers all day long. So uh, it's like I said, I was a DW artist for 14 years, and I always say this, even as a Gretsch artist, I've never met any company that cares more about drums than DW. They are obsessed. So yeah. um, you know, if it's your sound, then it, then it's awesome. So that's really cool. Well, let's give these things a listen. Okay, time for listener questions. Our first one is coming in. This one's been here for a while, so my apologies to you, Josh, but this is from Josh Doyle. Um, his He had three questions. We're going to answer one of them. The first one is, uh, can you talk a bit about going down the rabbit hole of gear obsession that all drummers find themselves in from time to time and how that search for the perfect sound can sometimes distract you from practicing? For example, I fall hard into the gear rabbit hole anytime I listen to Matt Chamberlain or Steve Jordan because they always have such cool drum sounds. However, I quickly find out that when I go to play their drums in a music shop, I don't sound anything like them. Uh, <laughs> this is a this is particularly relevant for me right now because I just did an entire studio upgrade. I got a new computer, got new interfaces, got you know, the only thing that's really? the same are the drums and the mics. Everything else is is new. Wow! Um, Congrats. <clears throat> 
Thank you, but it's it's terrifying because yes. I've spent I spent eight years refining my you know low grade setup to getting sounds that I was happy with, and now I'm essentially like no more excuses. I've got high end professional gear, and now I'm you know I've got to really go back and make sure that I I understand everything that I thought I understood about EQing and phasing and all that. Um, so I think for me, the value of those eight years was that I had crappy gear. And I had to get good sounds. I think the the danger is when you're obsessed on buying something new that you yeah. think is going to make you sound better. Whereas fix something, you know, do whatever you need to do to get that you know Chinese made drum set to sound good. Do whatever you need to do. I used to tune my drums constantly every day, and I, we we both said this before. I think drum tuning is just as valuable practice as it is practice. I mean, yes, absolutely. You have to have a good sounding instrument. You can't do mm-hmm. anything without, but you can get a you can get a cheap factory made Chinese kit to sound good. You just have to put a lot more effort into it, and that's what I discovered right. with the new studio gear. Like I don't need to put as much effort into it to get it to sound good. Right. Now I can really start focusing in on the details. And but honestly, without the eight years that you had, if you started with this gear, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Honestly, no, it's I mean, overwhelming. That, that's been my experience. Is you know when I put up those my two mic setup of the really expensive mics, they don't sound better. They sound way worse Yeah, because you get to hear everything. And the whole point of those is they give you all of the spectrum so that you can control them. But now I know what, when I hear something that sounds bad to me, I know it's like, Oh, I know for a fact that's 275 Hertz. I I just know it. Um, I wouldn't have known that back then. So I would have been like, what the heck? I spent more money. It should be better. And it's, it's not, the case you know when you buy a cheap golf club it has a huge sweet spot because it assumes you're horrible yeah right you know um (laughs) so so yeah so i think i think you're right and i think the thing that you you talked about this man months ago on the podcast and this will help josh a lot you did either an interview or a photo shoot with steve jordan you played his snare yeah and it didn't sound like steve jordan and then he played it and it sounded like steve jordan right yeah that's happened with steve gad and steve jordan in the room me two feet away from them it's it's undeniable that your hands your heart and your soul make the sound it you you can get any drum to sound like you you just need to know what you want to sound like (laughs) yeah that's 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 the the journey right you know like you know for me it's like I've been buying and selling cymbals and snare drums for years, hoping I, you know, find that Chris McHugh snare sound. Well, Chris McHugh sounds like Chris McHugh because that's he defined the way he wants to sound. I mean, there's certain things I've learned that he that he does that I wouldn't have assumed. Right. He uses big sticks; that's a really important right. part of his sound. But he has a sound in his head, and he can produce it on any snare drum, on any yeah. kit, on any cymbal. I just can't imagine going like sitting Benny Greb <clears throat> down on a sunlight kit that costs $250 and him not still sounding amazing. Yeah. And he proved and, it on that SpongeBob kit, right? And he'll still get his sound. It'll still be punchy totally. and dark. I mean, it'll still sound yeah. like him no matter, because if I think you have to have a vision for the sound, which is something I, I learned when I was studying classical music is you have to know the tone you're going for. You can make a symbol sound dark. You can make a symbol sound bright just by visualizing it first. And then yeah. your body just has to, put the molecules in motion to produce that sound. So for me, it's not about buying new gear. It's when I discover I can't get a sound from something, then I'm like, all right, I've got to, I've got to get a 15 inch snare drum because I just can't get this 14 to do what I want it to do. But yeah, well, I think that the real answer for Josh is that 
maybe it's time, you know, don't lose the obsession, but go down a different rabbit hole, you know, make the rabbit hole you sticking with the same gear and trying to become the sound. I mean, that's, I have a bet going on with Amber and Nate, Nate, who does our cameras here of how long it'll take. I I'm betting one year before I change my two mic setup. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, you are crazy. You will change that by January 1st. Yeah, and I'm thinking it'll be sooner too. <laughs> everyone does. Because I'm, I'm Mr. Tinker. That's my middle name, Mike Tinker Johnston. I like to mess with things. But but what I'm trying to do, you know, I still have that obsession with going to Memphis Drum Shop. And it's like, I, I know that's Elvin Jones's kit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and and when I, I I I like when people have that thing and they just stick with it. And it's consistent, and so I, I really want to be more consistent and just stick with the same setup for a while. And you know, I can tune my snare tighter. I can tune my toms tighter. I, I can change it as much as I want. Yeah, I can I can get that twenty to sound as low as I want with EQ. So I'm just gonna I'm trying to Josh to your point. I'm trying to not go down that rabbit hole anymore. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if, if you have one. 5 by 14 superphonic snare drum. If you think of all the different types of drummers and different styles of music that have been made with that one snare drum. So you've got yep. Steve Gadd, the super fat, punchy snare drum. That's superphonic. Right. You've got uh, Carlton Barrett with Bob Marley. Sounds like a timbali. You've got Joe Morello with Dave Brubeck. It's the most musical bebop snare drum around. Right. I mean, it's it's And then you've got uh, Keith Moon. It sounds like the drum's just going to ex- explode when he plays it. So right. one drum, just by your tuning and your touch, not so much drum heads. I think I don't think yeah. drum heads. I mean, you can get a you know a huge difference with a super thick drum head with a patch on it or whatever. But yeah, <clears throat> but I think standard drum head, standard you know? drum head. It's it's yeah. it's your hands and your tuning, and you should be able to get pretty much whatever you want out of what you already have. Yeah, and and your passion. I mean, God, <laughs> like just hit the drum square in the middle. And then move it a half an inch every hit going towards the rim for the next 20 hits. There's ni- there's so many sounds inside of that. So, you know, I mean, if somebody tells me 311, Chad Sexton, I'm probably not hitting the drum right in the middle without a rim shot. I'm probably <laughs> yeah. way out on the edge getting yeah. that timbali thing, cranking yeah. it up, right? Um, and so, yeah. And, and then if somebody said, okay, living on a prayer, Bon Jovi. Tune it down, and I'm not hitting a rim shot. I'm hitting it square. I'm probably going to turn my stick around to get the fattest boof possible. So, all right, Josh, hope that helps. Next. Okay, so this is actually a question for our listeners because I don't think you or I are going to have an answer for it, but hopefully someone might have an answer. Um, This comes from Glenn. He's saying, do you guys know how to lift samples direct from a track and add them into Logic So, uh, without drums? So he's. I guess he's asking: Is there a way to remove instruments wow. from tracks? I'm pretty sure there is. I know. That, I know you can get rid of the vocals with using certain plugins that are that are like phase canceling certain really? stuff. I don't know that you can do it with the drums, but maybe I'm wrong. So if anyone knows of any software, or any you know EQ and and phase flipping magic that we could. Yeah, then however you do it, just send me all the samples. Yeah. I'll use them in clinics. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. So mdinfo at moderndrummer.com if I mean, there, you have a solution for that. There must be a way because I, you know, I, I know that I, I bought a lot of drumless tracks that were all done by the real artists. Yeah. And I'm talking like even Rush and everything. And that website got shut down uh, the yeah. day after. 
and all the drums are gone. And I don't yeah. know. So there must I be a way. In that, in that case, I may be wrong, but I think there's engineers who have access to those masters who. Is that, you think it's really that? And they yeah. just make a bounce down without drums? They just rip them. They get the stems. So you've got you know, the entire right. multi track. I, I could be wrong. I mean, Rick Beato, who's a great producer on, on his YouTube channel, he's often soloing. You know, isolating sounds from like sure, major I records. Mean, I'm like, how the hell yeah. did you get the drum stems from Metallica? Like, right, right. Yeah. How did you do that? So I think, that? I think there's just engineers is kind of a thing where they just make backups of everything secretly and and then they give them to this kid yeah. and he sells them. Like, I don't understand it. <laughs> well, he probably I just stole want, it from somebody else. Yeah, I just want everybody to know I did pay for mine. So, <laughs> I, you know, but every time I have a camp and somebody's like, "How do you have Muse without the drums?" I'm like, "No." Oh. I don't. I don't know. That wherever I got it isn't there anymore. So, uh, all right. Next question. All right. This is uh, another one that I don't know that we can answer, but we can try. This is coming from Dana. <clears throat> um, he's been playing for over ten years and hadn't had any problems until recently. He's he uh, developed some wrist pain in his left wrist and was wondering if either of you guys had any tips, exercises, stretches, etc., to help. Mm, man, what about you, buddy? Um, I think ibuprofen is probably a good thing to, you know, help kind of get rid of the swelling and, and pain. But, you know, we're not doctors and we can't really rep- recommend much. But I know when I would get wrist pain occasionally, it's when I was just overworking, like on a practice pad too much, just going at it, you know, for too intense and yeah. too much and not and not giving myself a chance to, to recover. And when I just don't do basic wrist stretches, just pulling the fingers back, pulling the fingers yeah. forward, uh, it's usually just it's usually that I'll just pick up the sticks and start blazing on the pad, and then like an hour later, I'm like, "Ow, oh, that kind of was stupid. <laughs> Why did I do that?" Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, usually <clears throat> rest is the is the is the elixir. But uh, our uh, our resident physiotherapist Joshua Lehman can help us out if he wants. So if you want to send us some some wrist stretches, Joshua, we would love that. Uh, I think we could all benefit from that. And maybe let us know what is a, an acceptable amount of time to rest something, the pain is still there, and then you th- say, okay, I, I think I've got an issue. Because I, I have pain that creeps up all the time. In It could be an elbow. It could be shoulder. It could be wrist. And I usually take two days off, and it's gone for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not a chronic thing. But I'm wondering – you know, there there are there have been a few times where I'm like, uh, this is like day three on this knee thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah. my bass drum leg. You know, <laughs> it's so funny, man. I don't think of ankles and knees and elbows in any term other than d- drums. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh crap, this is a problem. So uh, Joshua, maybe let us know how long is a good <clears throat> amount of time to rest, and then we'll we'll circle back to that next week. You can just send in your answer to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That's All right, buddy. It. Well, everyone else, you can send your questions there and. We'll, Keep sending in your audio questions as well. We'll get to more of those. But for now, it's time for our picks of the week. Sir, do you have a pick of the week? I do, and I feel like I might have mentioned this maybe before, but I don't know if I have. So, you know, Zorro is is authored and co-authored some really great books over the yeah. years. I think his Commandment of Commandments <clears throat> Commandment series, he has the the funk and R and B, and he's got the early you know the early blues, rock and blues with Daniel Glass. I think those are classics. He did a much smaller one, but also kind of the similar, like, thorough, exhaustive approach on the Halftime Shuffle. Okay. So there's the – I think it's called The Commandments of the Halftime Shuffle, and it's out by Alfred Publishing. So if anyone is really looking to dig into that groove specifically, okay. it's so a great wait, book. 
it's a whole book on the halftime <clears throat> shuffle. Yeah, but it's a shorter book. It's not like okay. as long as his his other books. But yeah, he kind of goes awesome. through the the history of the the classic shuffles and then where yeah. it kind of morphed into the halftime shuffle and little variations and, and tricks and stuff. It's, Do you know? Does he have references for audio? He does. That's that's what's really valuable. Um, Man, it's always hard for me to find like when students say. What's the difference between a Chicago blues shuffle and a Texas shuffle? I'm like, I can show you on the drums, but I don't have my my shuffle track listing to show you examples of these things. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I want it's like just because you can play it doesn't mean you know when to play it. You need to hear music to go. Okay, when I hear that sound, I'm going to play this version of a shuffle. And I'm pretty sure on Alfred's website for the book, they give you the um, you know they give you a couple sample pages, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure one of the sample pages is his list of halftime shuffle recordings. Oh, that's cool. So it's a great way to just kind of – you can just grab that and start listening and, and decide if you want to you know, dig into right. it a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, I, I get really bummed out when anytime I play something remotely shuffle-related, somebody on Instagram says Rosanna or Bernard Purdy. And I'm like, dude, do you know how many of these there are? Like there are so yeah. many. And, and I love it. It's like let's give credit to, you know, to the genesis of it. But still, there's more. There weren't just two shuffles in in the history of the world, so yeah. So I'm um, looking at it now. It's right on the offer. It's actually on the main product page. So they've he's got tons of tracks, everything from the Christmas song by Luther Vandross to Stevie Wonder, James Taylor, Steely Dan stuff, obviously Led Zeppelin. Wow, uh, tons of stuff. There's things I didn't realize were halftime shuffles. Curtis Mayfield. Um, awesome, man. Well, we'll definitely check that out. Well, my pick of the week this time is. Something a little bigger picture, which is a Barnes and Noble just opened in Folsom. We had kind of lost all of our Barnes and Nobles, and we'd lost our uh, what was the one Borders books? Oh yeah, that was sad. Borders just just collapsed on itself. I used to do jazz gigs at Borders. Yeah, so we just opened a brand new one, and this one's like a really hip Barnes and Noble. It's got a uh, farm to table restaurant inside of it, all local cool. grown uh, produce and everything. And so my pick of the week this time is books. Uh, I haven't been to a bookstore in forever. I Well, one, I did not know how expensive hardcover books are. Uh, <laughs> I got four books, and it cost me about $130. But uh, this is the <clears throat> one that I'm starting. This is called Calculating the Cosmos, How Mathematics Unveils, Unveils the Universe by Ian Stewart. So wow. um, I figure if I can get through three pages of this, the drums will be pretty freaking easy. <laughs> I'll look down at a drum set and be like, whatever. So um, so anyway, so yeah, books are my pick of the week. Guys, go out to a bookstore and just get a book, you know, and start yeah. to read, touch it. I, I, I don't get that same – and I read a lot of books on my iPad. I don't get that same connection and that same – I don't know, that feeling of – responsibility that I have to finish the book. I don't get that with my iPad. It just sits yeah. on there in, in a digital form where with a real book, you really get something. So Yeah, exactly. There's definitely All right. four or five books on my iPad that I really want to read and I've gotten like, you know, halfway through. I just never go back to it. It's not the same. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, let's get out there and practice. Check out all <laughs> the stuff we mentioned. Check out the DW Cherry Mahogany kit. Uh, check out Russ Miller's article in the January issue. And... Uh, can't wait to do more of this, man. I, I, we started this podcast. I know. We started this podcast in a little bit of a funk. Personally, we were both just <laughs> tired, but I feel good now. I'm ready to practice. <laughs> ready well, to be, be safe out there, and I guess we'll see everyone uh, next year. 2017. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right, buddy. Have a great day. See you. Late.